You're listening to the Rise Parenting Podcast, a resource for parents before kids, during pregnancy, and through the elementary years. I'm your host, Rachel Rubenstein. In this episode, I chat with Casey Zavella, fertility nurse at Marin Fertility Center. I was really excited to have Casey on the podcast because while infertility is not something that I experienced so far in my journey, it's something that many women have reached out to me on this platform about sharing their stories and asking for advice. And I haven't had a lot of resources to give, so I was eager to learn from Casey in our conversation. She walks me through the various tests and treatments for infertility and shares her observations on current infertility trends, including maternal age, as well as the increase she has seen in women freezing their eggs in the Bay Area. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also enjoy episode three, where I interview Claire Schwartz on her journey through infertility. As always, I so appreciate you for taking this time with me. And if you think of anyone else who might enjoy this podcast, please remember to share it with them. And now please welcome Casey to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Can you take a minute to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, sure. So I am a fertility nurse at Marin Fertility Center here um, in Green Bay, and I see a wide wide range of patients, you know, patients who are in their 20s or sometimes actually even in their teens who, you know, haven't gotten a period, things like that. And then ranging to patients who are, you know, well on their fertility journey. And yeah, it's a wonderful job. I love helping this population and it's super interesting. It's constantly changing. Um, Yeah, that's a little bit about what I do. Great. And so you, before we started recording, had said that the clinic closed down during the beginning of Shelter in Place. Is it a privately owned clinic? It is. It's private. It's pretty small. Um, But yeah, so we were closed mostly because the anesthesiologists, a lot of them actually come from Marin General and they, Mm -hmm. um, you know, wanted us to close down and weren't comfortable doing elective surgeries. And actually I think it was, you know, a rule that we couldn't do any elective surgery. So Mm -hmm. we had to close down because of that. But yeah, luckily we've been able to open back up in the past couple of weeks and have totally hit the ground running. It's been so, so busy. Wow. Yeah. Is there anything coming out right now about COVID and getting pregnant? Are there any kind of warnings or? Yeah. Yeah. So there's no real research that we know because obviously there, I mean, we know about patients who were pregnant within the last few weeks of COVID, but we don't have any research, obviously, with patients who, you know, in the first trimester were positive for COVID. So we just don't have access to that. So we're kind of giving patients, um, it's up to them. We're kind of saying, you know, we don't know what the risks are really, but most patients, I would say, I would say a majority of our patients are wanting to move forward with treatment right now. Mm-hmm. Um, which I completely understand. And I think there's also some who definitely are more reserved and cautious about it, which, you know, I also think is great. It's just a personal choice at this time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, like you said, you see a wide range. Yeah. Um, given where we are in Marin, is there a particular age demographic that you see in the clinic? I would say mostly in their early 40s, late 30s to early 40s is our majority. But um, there's actually, I think, I think something that's interesting is a lot of the startups in the city, they offer these insurance benefits that um, cover fertility treatment. So mm-hmm. 
we get a lot of even just young single women who want to come freeze their eggs. That's we've seen a huge uprise in that recently, just because it's free. And, you know, there's kind of a trend right now that people are getting married later, starting families later. And um, so we get tons of those patients as well. But I mean, we've really, I would say the majority is late thirties to early forties, but it's still just so widespread, um, the different ages we see. Yeah, that's so interesting. And yeah, yeah I've heard about some companies offering that now, freezing yeah. their eggs. And it's it's interesting because, you know, it's beneficial to the company, but then, you know, why not? Because that is the trend yeah. that people are having kids later and later, and you don't know what your fertility journey is going to be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What are the most common issues you see in the clinic? Gosh, it's so, it, it really varies. I mean, I see a lot of PCOS, um, polycystic mm-hmm. ovary syndrome. That's pretty common. Um, a lot of actually male factor, which I think kind of is interesting because mm-hmm. that goes a little bit under the radar. You know, everyone who's trying to get pregnant, I think sometimes just forgets really to test the male and just assumes that it's, you know, something's wrong with me, something's wrong with the female. But um you know, we definitely do get a lot of male factor where the sperm can be, um, you know, the morphology is off or they can be slow swimmers, quote unquote, um, or there just aren't enough sperm. So yeah, that that's another big one as well. Um, trying to think what else. Does it seem like age plays a factor into the morphology of the sperm or is that kind of all over the map? I would say that's all over the map, you know, not to my knowledge. Um, it definitely could be, but not that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is kind of the, the unfortunate side of fertility that women kind of have this phase of life and this yeah clock, unfortunately, yeah. how people talk yeah. about it, whereas men could have a baby later in life. So yeah, yeah, we definitely do have patients that like that too, you know, that partner is much older. Um, and, but the female still, you know, the one who's kind of having the issue. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, but we do get patients, male patients of all ages that are having issues. So yeah, I would say it can happen more so just at any age rather than like you were saying with the women, it's, you know, at around age 35 or so, there's that steep decline that we see of egg quality of the amount of eggs, not to my knowledge, do we see that with the with the male sperm. Mm -hmm. It is interesting though, that, you know, the trend is to get pregnant later and there are still a number of women who are able to get pregnant naturally at those older ages. Yeah. Yeah. There really are. Yeah. It's really interesting. I think that's so interesting with medicine too, that I'm a firm believer then you can't just generalize, you know, I think that everyone like, sure there are patterns and trends and things like that. But I think that especially with fertility, you can't just assume, like there's really no rules. You can't assume that just because you're, you know, in your twenties that you're just going to get pregnant at the drop of the hat, or you shouldn't assume that if you're in your late forties, that it won't happen for you. You know, it really can be different um, for everybody. Mm -hmm. So if someone were trying to get pregnant Mm -hmm. and it's not working at home, what would the next phase be? So there's a few tests involved that we do. You would probably go to your OB first before you would ever go to a fertility clinic. That's mm-hmm. usually a bit further down the road. Um, so you would want to have blood work done showing, you know, 
something called your AMH, which is your anti-malarian hormone that basically tells you how many eggs you have left on reserve. And this often predicts, it can predict how successful a pregnancy will be, but it also isn't a huge determining factor. It's just kind of one of the main first things that we have checked out. Um, another thing that we do is we do an ultrasound at the OB office that will show, um, it kind of just checks out what's going on, you know, how many follicles or eggs we have growing in the ovaries. They can get a pretty good look at how fertile you will be each cycle just by looking at that. We also do things like a saline sonogram, which is where you um, insert saline into the uterus to check for anything that might cause implantation to not occur. So like scarring, fibroids, things like that. Um, and then another thing you can do is to check your tubes. So to make sure those tubes are open so that eggs can actually get from the ovaries into the fallopian tubes and to be able to implant into the uterus. So are all of those tests that an OB would do or at what point would they come to you? Yeah, so it, that actually varies with your OB and what their capabilities are. I know plenty of OBs who can do all of those tests and then some will refer out after just doing the blood work or like the initial ultrasound to check your ovaries and all of that. So it's kind of case by case, but I would say definitely talk to your OB, ask them what their capabilities are and where you should go if they can't perform those for you. Mm -hmm. And I've also heard from a number of women that they, that their doctor had them tested first instead of their husband, which seems like an easier test. Yeah. Is that the trend? It's definitely the trend. I don't know why it is that way, but it, it sure is. I think it's important to find a doctor who, you know, recognizes that early on and doesn't want to have to put your body through certain things before having your partner tested as well. Um, I would definitely say that's something to look for. I also think too that a lot more can maybe be wrong in terms of the female. So people are wanting to get that checked out, get the ball rolling on that. You know, mm -hmm. the tests kind of take a little bit longer. They're based on your cycle. So, you know, they can only happen at certain times of the month. And so, mm -hmm. and sometimes you don't want to do all of those in the same month. So it can take a few months to get through all of these testing procedures. So, you know, I think that might be part of it too, where doctors know that and just want to get that started and know that you can also do the semen analysis kind of at any time, you know, but mm -hmm. you should do that before you do anything invasive, like the saline sonogram or checking your tubes for sure. Okay. And so when a couple is coming in and they've had all the tests and there's some issue and they need help getting pregnant, is it depending on the issue, the the then therefore treatment, or do you start with IUI before right. IVF? Yeah, so it totally depends on what's going on. You know, um, people who have, let's see here, like someone who has a blocked tube or two blocked tubes, um, you have to do IVF because you're not going to get the egg to come out into the place that it needs to be. So. Mm -hmm. So backing up a little bit, an IUI is called intrauterine insemination. And so we're basically um, collecting the sperm from the male patient and then um, essentially just putting it inside at the correct time of the month into the uterus so that fertilization can happen. And But if, you don't, if your tubes are blocked, then 
those, the egg won't come out and can't be fertilized anyway. So someone like that would have to go to IVF. Someone who might be having a male factor, a sperm issue, they might go um, directly to IUI because what an IUI does is it puts the sperm closer to where it needs to be and kind of helps with, you know, anyone that might have those slow swimmers. So it's definitely case by case and um, totally reliant on what your diagnosis is. Mm -hmm. And financially, there's probably a big difference, right? Because IVF, you're having to do both the egg and the sperm. And is it always that you're then joining them and fertilizing before implantation? With With IVF, IVF, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you create the embryo outside of the body and then you implant it back in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so... I mean, this is probably dependent on someone's insurance and mm-hmm. the what procedures precede either of these treatments, but do you have a ballpark of what those procedures might look like financially? You know, that can also totally vary. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a nurse, I'm not really involved with like mm-hmm. the financial stuff. And I know that there's so many different things you can add on to an IVF cycle, like even how you fertilize the embryo or fertilize the egg rather that you can do certain things that cost more. It's just, it's totally all over the place. Um, but I mean, it can range from, I would say maybe like 10 to 25,000 per cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, IUI is definitely more affordable. I think it's more around the $2,000 range, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, don't quote me on exactly on those numbers because Mm -hmm. I, you know, not really too close to the financial side of it. Yeah. Um, Just from what I hear. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So with freezing your eggs, so if someone was to come in and freeze their eggs, what's that procedure like? So it's pretty straightforward. So a patient will come in, they'll have a couple of appointments that have um, ultrasounds and blood draws. They've got, it'll probably be about four appointments that they'll come in for monitoring over the course of about 10 days or so. And then we'll do an egg retrieval, um, which is, it's really about a 15 to 20 minute long procedure where the patient goes under anesthesia. We thread a long needle through the wall of the vagina, go through the ovary, and then pretty much just suction or vacuum out all of the eggs that they've been growing over the past week or so, week and a half. And then we take those eggs out, check which ones are mature, and then we freeze them for future use. So how many eggs is that on average? You know, I would say average um, is about eight, but it can totally, you know, so people with PCOS, they may get tons and tons of eggs, but they might not be as great of quality. So a lot of them may not be mature. And then, you know, someone else with declining ovarian reserve might get one or two, um, sometimes even zero. It really just spans mm-hmm. depending on your diagnosis. Will you also do embryo freezing? So yeah. if, if a couple comes in and they're not ready to have babies, but they want to freeze? Yeah, definitely. Something that's been happening um, a lot more frequently, I would say, is there's more companies, like I think Modern Fertility is one of them, that um, you can test your AMH levels and kind of figure out if you've got, you know, some fertility issues, even if you're not ready to start a family, what they do is they just send you basically, um, the lab work and you can just send back your, like from a prick of your finger, I think, um, just a blood sample and they'll let you know your AMH and 
other things like that. So I've had quite a few patients who have just done that out of curiosity um, and, you know, found out that they've got a low AMH and don't have many eggs left. So they decide to go through IVF with their partners, um, sometimes before they're married, you know, whatever the case may be, just in case and just to be a little bit more proactive about their fertility, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. Will you then verify those tests when someone comes in or do you take whatever lab work they've had before and just go from there? We take whatever lab work they have usually um, because, you know, I think places like Modern Fertility, they use the same labs that we use. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, we, we don't make people redo their AMH or things like that unless there's some weird uh, circumstance. Yeah, we, we take all their old labs. And as a clinic, do you see married, single? Oh, yeah, no. Gay, we, gay? We, yeah, we have no you know, of course we welcome any and everyone and we definitely do see a wide range of demographics. And I think that's what makes this job so cool and interesting is that, yeah, it's just, you know, anyone is welcome and everyone can benefit from it, which is really amazing. I love helping patients, you know, uh, gay couples coming in all the time. Um, It's super rewarding to help them start a family. Um, Just is amazing to me that we can do that. Do you have a number of surrogates coming in? We do. Yeah, we have a surrogate program, um, which is also really amazing. Um, yeah, it's it's really interesting learning about surrogacy and what goes behind the scene, what goes on behind the scenes with all of that. And um, it's pretty complex. You know, there's a lot of other additional testing they have to do, and um, it's really interesting working with. You know, at that point, you've almost got three patients. You know, the <laughs> intended parents and then the surrogate. And so, yeah, there's a lot of balancing that goes on with that, but um, it's, it's really fascinating. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. What's your favorite part of your work? I love just connecting with my patients and, um, you know, they're in there so many times. I mean, especially when people have to cycle more than once with us, they're in there, you know, sometimes for years, you know, and we get to know them really well. And I think just building those relationships and then finally being able to make that phone call, like you're pregnant is the most exciting. Um, And even those phone calls where I have to tell people they're not pregnant, you know, as hard as that is, I really do love being there for them and, you know, just being there for that moment, even though it's a crappy moment, it's, you know, I'd rather be there than not. So I think just anything where I can connect with my patients or, teach them how to use their medication and do injections and um, all of that. It's, it's really great. Mm -hmm. At what point do your patients then go back to the OB um, for their, you know, prenatal health? Um, At 10 weeks. So we keep them, um, we do the embryo transfer and all of that. And then hopefully they get pregnant and they're with us at that point. They're considered around, roughly three and a half weeks because we've been growing, which is actually really Mm. interesting. We've been growing the embryo outside of the body. Yeah, that is interesting. So yeah, so they're technically about three and a half weeks or so. And then, um, so we see them for about six more weeks. Interesting. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. That is crazy. I didn't think of that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And is it at the same stage of the embryo that you always implant or? No, so it's usually, it can vary. It's usually a day five meaning we fertilize and then grow it for about five days. It gets a little bit complicated because um, 
at day five, you can then send them off to be tested for chromosomal abnormalities like Down syndrome, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and those have to be day fives. But if someone is having trouble growing them to day five, then we'll do it at day three. So I would say day three is in day five embryos are most common. Mm-hmm. When you say send them off for that testing, where are you sending them? We send them to different labs. Um, it's so crazy what they do. They take a biopsy of this tiny, tiny embryo. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it's, I mean, I can't even fathom it. But yeah, they can tell gender. They can tell, um, you know, if they have the normal amount of chromosomes, um, things like that. And so we get a big, long report back. And those reports are always really exciting to see because that's kind of like your final stamp of, you've made it through all of this, all of your eggs were mature or, you know, X amount were mature, you know, out of those being mature, this many fertilized out of those that were fertilized. These are the ones that are chromosomally normal and have the best chance of implantation because, um, some miscarriage miscarriages can be caused by chromosomally abnormal embryos. So that's kind of, you know, we just want to make sure we're giving everyone the best chance possible. So it's a really important report to get back. Mm-hmm. So do you send all of the embryos off or is that a choice that the parents have? Definitely a choice. Yeah. So some, you know, some, which understandably, so feel like this whole thing is already really controlled, you know, and it's kind of their one chance to be like, you know, hands off kind of thing. So yeah, it's a really personal decision to do stuff like that. And definitely not everyone does it. I would say the majority does though, just to, you know, you don't want to put yourself through so many embryo transfer cycles when you could have information that, you know, doesn't put your body through that or your emotional state through that. Yeah. But I would say most people do that testing. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And like you mentioned, this emotional side, are there aspects of your training or your clinic that aim to help the patient in that emotional journey? Yeah, I definitely think the nurses play a really big role in that just because we talk to the patient so much, um, Mm -hmm. you know, every day. And we also, you know, connect them with support groups, things like that. But quite honestly, I haven't found too many resources that I feel are amazing. And, Hmm. you know, I I should do more research on that because I think it would be so beneficial for patients. But um, yeah, I mean, we really try our best to just do what we can to know that, you know, our clinic is a safe space for them and that they can come to us with anything, you know, even if that is just an emotional, like I'm having a really hard time with this kind of thing. But it's a lot. I mean, the emotional part of it is, I would say just like, such a big, big part of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have a friend who went through the IVF process and she said that for her, she found some support groups online and those were instrumental for her well-being through that process. And you would think that there are more in-person groups because it is a huge issue that so many people go through. Mm -hmm. It's, It's such a huge part of people's story. And I feel like it's often not talked about because it feels maybe um, like something's wrong with you or your yeah. experience and you don't want to share that when I feel like people should be sharing that more. Yeah. Yeah. Normalizing it. I know I always say to 
my coworkers, I wish that all of our patients could just know each other and that they could, you know, talk in the waiting room and just like introduce themselves because they're all feeling the same way for the most part. Um, and, you know, they're all in such close quarters. I'm just like, you guys would all love each other, you know? <laughs> That's friends. funny. Do you yeah. ever connect people, like someone who's further along, or is it kind of like confidentiality? No. No, just because of, you know, HIPAA violations, we're just, Mm -hmm. you know, very, everyone's really different too. Like some people are very heads down, don't want to talk to anyone. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you kind of have to leave that up to the patient, but um, I mean, that would be a really cool program, you know, like a buddy system program. That would be. Yeah. Yeah. So in your clinic, there's a number of nurses and you said there's an anesthesiologist that comes from the hospital. Are there other doctors that are there overseeing the patients? Yes, we have a couple of doctors. Um, One of them owns a practice and kind of runs the show. And then we have another doctor who um, is there and sees tons of patients. And then um, we have a group of uh, anesthesiologists from Marin General who come over and do all our procedures. Um, And then I'm the nurse. And then we have a really great group of medical assistants who... Mm -hmm um do so much in the clinic and then we also have a really great um office staff it's actually a pretty good sized clinic for being considered a small clinic lots of behind the scenes support which is really great that is great but you're the one nurse so you have a huge responsibility on your shoulders yeah it's it's been so great being the only nurse just you know getting to do like getting to learn so much so quickly and being kind of pushed out there and being like figured out you know it's it's been a really huge learning experience. So it's been what awesome. brought you into this field? You know, so going through school, I always really wanted to be just in women's health. I loved mm-hmm. labor and delivery. I loved the NICU and just kind of randomly stumbled upon fertility and just ended up loving it. And it's just, it's a really good mix of things that I'm really interested in too. Like there's this whole other side of natural fertility, you know, like mm-hmm does diet influence fertility? Does acupuncture help in any way? All these other things that I am so interested in learning about. So it's kind of a perfect combination of clinical stuff and scientific stuff and, you know, being really, um, I mean, it's super lab focused, you know, but it's also, you know, mind, body, spirit connection kind of thing, in my opinion. And Mm -hmm. it's just all connected, which I think is really cool. Do you bring those into the conversations with patients about diet and lifestyle and yeah, the doctors do. Um, and I answer questions that patients have about it, but it's mostly the doctors who will bring in lifestyle changes they can make that usually happens after their initial appointment, their new patient appointment, when they're there kind of taking a synopsis of everything that's going on. That's when the doctors really are like, here are other things you can do to kind of improve your chances and, you know, I think it's all just, it all comes together collectively. Like I, I wouldn't say the doctors are like, oh, you know, eat this and you'll get pregnant. It's more mm-hmm. so like, you know, here's a healthy diet you should follow just to get yourself in the right, you know, framework for getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If only if it was eat this and get pregnant. <laughs> I know. And a lot of people would be eating it. And a lot of people would be avoiding yeah. it. <laughs> I know. It's so true. So true. Have you seen in your own patients the effects of acupuncture through the treatment process? You know, again, I can't say that one thing Mm -hmm. leads to another type of thing, but I will say that a lot of my patients do 
bring in acupuncturists um, before and after their embryo transfers. And they also see them on the side. And I do know that they, you know, if nothing else, it relaxes them and it's, mm -hmm. it's an amazing um, thing in that sense. So I would say that it's definitely something that's a hot topic and that people are often asking questions about. And um, yeah, they're definitely doing acupuncture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did acupuncture all through my pregnancy and oh. I can't say it supported it, but yeah. I had a great pregnancy. So exactly. <laughs> I'll probably do it again. I know. I know. I've been going to an acupuncturist in Mill Valley and she's just amazing. I'm forcing my husband to go with me this weekend. Nice. Good. Yeah, it's just so dreamy and I don't, I don't understand it. I don't know <laughs> how it works. I, I don't get it, but just like do your magic on me. Do your magic. And I leave there every time and I'm just like, ah, oh, this is amazing. During this time of COVID, has the clinic changed policies or how you're interacting with patients? Oh my gosh, it has been so crazy. So yes, so we had to stop pretty much everything for about four to six weeks or so. And mm -hmm. then once we got the okay to start doing some things, we've been just super careful. We, you know, screen everybody before they come in, make sure they haven't had any symptoms or been exposed to anyone. And then when they actually get to our office, they text us and one of us will go out there with, you know, we've got two masks on, a face shield, gloves, everything, and um, take their temperature in their car. And then one thing that's been a really big bummer is that partners aren't allowed in. Mm -hmm. um, so even for important things like embryo transfers or, you know, just emotional appointments that you want mm -hmm. your support person to be there, they're unfortunately not allowed to be there right now, which has been really difficult. So I'll be very happy once this is all gone and partners yeah. can come back in. Yeah. But yeah, patients wear masks and it's pretty weird. It's, it's made the whole thing feel pretty sterile, but I also think our patients are super resilient and they're doing such a good job of just, you know, this is kind of the new normal and you know, it is what it is, but yeah, we're being, Super, super careful. Oh, and before everyone has their surgery, we actually have everyone go get a swab and get tested for COVID. Mm. Um, that was because the anesthesiologists just want to be super careful on their end that they're not, you know, they're at the hospital. They have to be really careful what they're bringing in. So, mm -hmm. so they're also getting tested, doctors and anesthesiologists as well? I don't know that they're getting tested, but we're having every single patient before mm. they can do anything with an anesthesiologist, they have to be tested themselves mm. like the mm. day before. So mm. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. I think it's really good to be careful right now. And definitely, you know, I feel better to err on the side of caution and, and be yeah. safe. I'm definitely taking that mindset with having a newborn or yeah. I mean I don't know if he's still a newborn four months just out of that I would say so <laughs> yeah he's still very new to me even though he feels like he's been here forever oh I know I know well I have one last question for you in ending yes how do you define motherhood oh gosh that's a hard question um I think motherhood can look so different for so many people I mean I think I don't know. I think it's whatever it means to you. I think you don't even have to be a mom to experience motherhood. I think, you know, especially, you know, I guess since we're talking about infertility, I think people struggling with infertility can find that in other places. And I think, you know, it can even be with pets or, 
you know, other family members, children or close friends, children. And I think having that hope that you one day will be a mother um, is part of motherhood too. And will make that so much sweeter once you actually have your first baby. So it's so sweet. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much. It was so nice to sit down and chat with you. Yeah.